All right, well, we're uh, working through our series on the parables, the parables of Jesus. And you'll notice that I had Matt read uh, several verses that are actually before the parable that we're going to be looking at all the way back to verse 1. And the reason is because our parable this morning is actually part of a larger teaching uh, that Christ is giving here. It's part of a larger point that he's trying to make, a larger theme. And the theme of this conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples is obedience. This is the the theme that connects all of these verses together. Now, I understand that obedience is not the most popular topic to preach on. Uh, If you're like me, you've probably heard a lot of messages on obedience that really uh, consist of nothing more than Try harder, get your act together, uh, work as hard as you can in your own strength to do what God wants you to do. And, and in the end, we just end up feeling like there's this weight that we've been given. Uh, we are discouraged and feeling empty. Um, that is not my goal this morning. Uh, there will be parts of this message that I really do hope challenge, uh, challenge us, but I think that if we Listen to what Jesus is saying, we will leave feeling encouraged. Uh, Christ is showing us here uh, that obedience should never be reduced to just some list of do's and don'ts or just micromanaging uh, every little decision of our life and saying, now, am I going to do what God wants me to do? It's much bigger than that. It's much more than that. Obedience is a... is a trajectory. It is an aim in our life. You could, you could say it is a path that we aim ourselves. And though we, we will never obey perfectly, that doesn't change the trajectory of our life and our desire to obey and be conformed to Christ's image. And so here's how Jesus helps us understand obedience properly. He answers three critical questions that I think have to be answered if we're going to uh, obey with a right understanding and with a right perspective. The first thing he teaches us is what to obey. And then secondly, he teaches us how to obey. And then thirdly, he teaches us why we obey. And so the first question that is answered in our text this morning is what do we obey? And the answer is Christ's commands. This this whole discussion, what kickstarts this whole thing is that Jesus gives his disciples two pretty challenging commands. The first one starts in verse 1, and it says this, And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. That's the command. Pay attention to yourselves. We live in a fallen world. Temptation is a reality. But woe to the one through whom it comes. So he says, pay attention to yourselves. In other words, watch the way that you live. Pay attention to your conduct. We really are our brother's keeper. Live in such a way that you set an example that leads towards Christ's likeness and not towards sin. And we have to remember, he's talking to his disciples here. This isn't to the multitudes or to the Pharisees. He's teaching his disciples what it means to be a follower of him. The second command follows right after this. 
And it says this, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Another difficult and challenging command. I mean, we know from from Scripture that seven is the number of, of completion or fullness. And so Jesus isn't saying on number seven you get to withhold forgiveness. He's literally saying, don't put limits on your forgiveness. Show extravagant grace and forgiveness that is very different than what the world shows. He's calling them to a different standard of life through the commands. Now, this all seems very overwhelming to his disciples. I mean, watch yourselves so that you don't stumble because better it is to have a, a, a millstone thrown around your neck and thrown into the sea if you cause someone to stumble. I mean, no pressure, right? Go above and beyond in your forgiveness. Show this extravagant grace of, of unlimited forgiveness to people. I mean, it, it's, it's such a challenge. It, it, it feels to them impossible. But I'll tell you, what we learn right off the bat is that it starts with a command. Jesus does call his servants to obey. He does expect them to live a life that is radically different than the world around them. And this shouldn't be surprising to us because if you think about it, the whole essence of being a servant is obeying our master. This is what it means to be a servant. This is why Jesus at one point in his ministry asks this question. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? And his point is that the word Lord means master. In other words, you're calling me master, but you're not acting like my servant. And so we have to realize that when we call Jesus Lord, we are proclaiming that he is our master. Our life is not our own. He does have the right to call for and expect our obedience And understanding this is such a necessary part of of Christian growth and discipleship. I mean, look at the Great Commission, the call to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. A major part of following Christ is growing in maturity and learning to embrace and submit to the commands of Christ. But here's the thing, his disciples are still standing in front of these two commands and they are overwhelmed. And look at their response. We see it in their response. It's short. (laughs) They say, give us more faith. You know, I I love this response and I I can appreciate it so much. Because what they're saying is, we need your help. We, we can't do this on our own. We don't, we don't have the resources to do what you're asking us to do. It's too hard. It's, too, it's, it's like impossible. It's too much to ask. Can I tell you something? That is the right way to feel when we look into the commands of God. That is the right, imagining ourselves trying to obey the commands of God on our own should feel like an overwhelming task, too much. And I'll tell you what, we will be left in that place right there, feeling overwhelmed, feeling like it's too much, feeling discouraged, if all we look at is the what behind obedience. A lot of times I think when when obedience gets, 
gets uh, preached on or when people talk about obedience, they stop right here. It's just the what. Go and do this. And we end up feeling like the disciples. Hey, I can't. I mean, I know I've done that. Sorry, God, but no. I can't pull that off. I I don't have what it takes, but I, I think what is important to see in their response and what we should, should admire in their response is that they don't say no. They don't say no, they say help. They don't say no, they say help. And I'll tell you what, I, I took this to heart as I was preparing, that, just that quick little phrase kept repeating in my mind, and I said, I really need to implement that more in my life. Don't say no Say help. When God is calling me to sacrificial service and obedience, or when he's identifying areas in my heart that need change, instead of saying no, say help. Leave the door open for the possibility of change. Now, here's the thing. I have to believe, based on our text this morning, that that's not a futile request when we say, Lord, help. Christ doesn't just call us to obey. He empowers us to obey. He gives us the strength and the ability to do that which he has called us to do. And this is the how behind our obedience. When it comes to the question, how do we obey? Jesus essentially answers by saying, By God's power, through faith. It's not enough to know what God is calling me to do. I need the strength to do it, and Christ provides it. Let's look at his response after the disciples ask for more faith. It says, And the Lord said, If your faith were the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Dig yourself up and plant yourself in the sea, and it would obey you. Now I'll tell you what, I have heard this passage preached on in some pretty ridiculous ways. I have heard people suggest that the tree is an obstacle that's in the way to your blessing and that with the authority of Christ, you can tell it to move and go get what you're entitled to. I've heard it preached as as evidence that God gives us authority to command nature at will, that we can just walk around. There's no limit to... Listen, that's not what Jesus is saying if you look at the context. The context is obedience. And he's saying... I will give you the power through faith. You will have the power to do the impossible. I will empower you to serve me and to obey me effectively. And just a little faith goes a long way. It's potent. Now, there's something important to understand, though, about the relationship between faith and power. We see a pattern throughout Scripture as to how this works. And what is critical to understand is that the power to obey almost always comes in the doing, not before the doing. And this is huge to understand. Because here's here's what I do. Okay, God, I feel like you're calling me to do this. I sense you calling me to do this. So I'm going to sit here, and once I feel your power just rush in and empower me and help me and assure me that I'm going to pull it off without any problems, then I'll step out. That's not the way we see it work, and that's not the way we see see it patterned in Scripture. 
I mean, there are so many miracles that Jesus performs where, where we see this. I mean, think about Peter when he's called to step off the boat. He doesn't just sit in the boat and say, okay, I'm waiting for full assurance. I'm waiting for this power to just lift me and and give me this absolute confidence. No, he steps out knowing that the power is going to be there. There's a, a, a story just after the parable we're looking at right now of 10 lepers who come to Jesus and say, have mercy on us, and they ask for healing, and Jesus doesn't say, you're healed. You know what he says? He says, go and show yourself to the priest. And so it says, as they were on their way, they were healed. Christ gives the command. They obey the command in faith, and the power to fulfill the command is there. And so Christ does call us to walk a path of servanthood and of obedience, knowing that he will empower us along the way. We are dependent on his power. We must be willing, like the disciples, to say, help. There is nothing harder, I think, than trying to live as Christ's disciple without relying on his power, trying to white-knuckle our way through obedience will only leave you end up condemned and discouraged and probably bitter at God. We have to walk by faith depending on God's power along the way. And so what do we obey? We obey Christ's commands. And how do we obey? We obey by God's power through faith. And so we have the what and the how, but we're still missing a key component, and that is the why. And why is the why so important? Because it deals with motivation. What is motivating our service to God? Why do we do what we do? This is what we learn from the parable. Let's read it together. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he comes in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he is commanded? So you also, when you have done what you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. And so here's what Christ is teaching in this parable. Why do we obey? Because of our identity as servants. Now look, uh, some of you might have a problem with the fact that Christ calls us servants. I mean, yes, this can be translated right here to be slave. But I'll tell you what, uh, and this is, this is important to understand, he's not saying that we are just servants. We are more than servants. I mean, Christ calls us his children. We are his ambassadors. We are sheep of his pasture. There are many ways that Christ uh, refers to us so that we can understand unique aspects of how we relate to him. But here's what's important to understand. We are more than servants, but we're not less. We are servants. We are all those other things, but we are also servants. The other thing that's important to understand is how, how servanthood worked in Jewish culture. It was very different from what we saw as slavery in the United States. Very different. And if that's our framework for understanding this parable, then we're off. 
You see, slavery in Jewish culture and in much of the ancient Near East actually had to do with insolvency. It had to do with indebtedness. You had borrowed money from creditors that you could not repay. You could not possibly repay the debt. And so you could go and become that person's servant. They could take you as their servant into their home. And you would be their indentured servant because of the debt that you could not pay. See, in our country, we have something called bankruptcy. Right? You, you get indebted. We can file for bankruptcy. And the debt is wiped out. They didn't have that. And so if you borrowed for someone or if you stole from someone and could not make restitution, they had the right to take you as their slave in light of the debt that you could not repay to them. Always came from a place of indebtedness. And so the servant would be taken into the master's home. He would be given basic provision, food to eat, uh, shelter, clothing. But here's the point. He had no right to collect a wage. He had no right to demand things, reward from the master, he was, he was serving out of a place of indebtedness. Listen, Jesus is showing his disciples through this parable, this is us. This is them. We come to Christ with such a, a large debt of sin that it is completely unpayable. So he forgives us, takes us as his own, and we serve him, understanding that we are forever indebted to his grace. We could never repay him for all that he has done. But what he shows us in the parable is that the temptation is to forget this. The temptation is to forget the radical grace that we've been shown. Forget the massive debt that we brought into this whole thing. And when this happens, we start seeing our service as grateful servants. And we start seeing it through the lens of an entitled employee. Well, what's the difference? Well, let's look at the entitled employee mindset for a second. The employee mindset, as I said, leads first to a sense of entitlement. The employee is serving so that they can get something. I'm going to do this for you, and you must give me something equal in return. And that's fair. That's how employment works. My boss said that they weren't going to pay me this week. I'd say, no, I'm entitled to that. But what Jesus is saying here is that these are servants who are acting like employees. We're, we're not employees. We're servants. Look at verse 7. He says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at my table? Jesus is confronting this mindset that because of what I've done for Jesus, I am entitled to something from God, to sit at his table and recline. Or what about this one? Does he, the master, thank the servant because he did what he has commanded. Th think about how crazy this is for a second. Jesus, God, is the master in this parable. And he's saying, would someone dare to stand before God and say, you know what? You should be thanking me. You should be thanking me for what I have done. It's an incredible thought. But this is the employee mindset in serving God. It is a performance-driven view of obedience. I am earning something from God through my obedience. It, 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 I have a scorecard, and I am, everything I do to obey God is racking up points for myself, and at some point, I get to cash those in for some kind of reward for God. He owes me. 
whether it's owing me blessing or forgiveness or good fortune, health, eternal life. You know, it's so easy to think this way, to think that obedience works this way. Because in reality, that's how all other religions work. Right? You obey the commands of your God or God's first, then he will grant you fertility or, or a good crop this harvest or he won't squash you in his, in his judgment. But it depends on us first performing and earning those things. And our natural bent as humans is to think that obedience works this way. The second thing of, uh, an employee mindset leads to is bitterness. With this mindset, we will not suffer well. We will not go through hardship well. When circumstances get bad, you know what we'll do? We'll say things like, I deserve better than this. You owe me better than this, God. When we see other people being blessed and God using them, we will get bitter because we have the scorecard out. I've done more than they've done. I'm I'm serving more than they are. I mean, this is the older brother in in the prodigal son, right? He ends up bitter and angry in the end because he's got the scorecard out and he's saying, you know what? I'm way more deserving than he is. I've earned my inheritance. It's a performance-driven mindset produces bitterness as well. Thirdly, it produces partial obedience, also known as disobedience. This is... (laughs) This is the irony of the performance-driven mindset is that it doesn't go the distance. It is a lousy motivator for the long haul. Look at the servant in this parable. He hasn't even done what he's supposed to do. He, he stops short of the command and says, you know what, I don't need to do anything else. I'm entitled to X, Y, and Z. Because when we're driven by performance, at some point we're going to think, I've done enough, or this is too much to ask. The reward isn't, isn't uh, you know, as good as is what I'm being asked to do. And so we're keeping score and we're thinking at some point, you know what? I've done enough. I deserve a break. I shouldn't have to do anything else. And I'll tell you what, eventually we will do the same if this is the way that we see our obedience. But thankfully, thank God, Jesus shows us that there is another way. There is another motivation, a why behind obedience that makes sense. And it involves remaining grounded in our identity as servants. See, a servant is someone who remembers that we came to Christ with a debt so massive that we could never repay it that Christ has forgiven us and taken us as his own, so we are forever indebted to his grace. Just like the hymn we sing, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I am constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. God, in his grace, did what he did not have to do. He demonstrated radical forgiveness to make us right with him. And so we gladly lay our lives down for him in response. Paul captures this motivation for obedience so well in Romans 12, verses 1. Look what he says. He says, So then, my friends, because of God's great mercy, 
to us. I appeal to you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is the true worship that you should offer. I love that. In light of what? God's great mercy to us, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices dedicated to his service. It is reasonable and it makes sense that we should serve God in light of what we've been given and the servant understands this. And so when we learn to embrace our identity as servants, I'm telling you, we will see life differently. We will see service differently. In contrast to the employee mindset, I want to look at a few things that the servant mindset leads to. First, a servant mindset leads to humility, genuine humility, when we rightly understand that serving God is the least that we can do in light of all that Christ has done. It humbles you. You you see people differently. You serve people differently. You stop expecting and demanding something in return for our service, not only to people, but God. We stop thinking that we're better than other people or that we are entitled to things that we're not entitled to. It creates a genuine humility of service. Secondly, it leads to a correct view of reward and blessing. You know, when we understand that we're servants, when we've, when we've embraced our identity as servants, we realize we will never be worthy, never entitled to God's blessings and rewards. But listen, just because we're not worthy or entitled to them doesn't mean that he doesn't give them. God does bless us. He does reward us. He does lavish us with his goodness. But when we understand that we are just servants, we realize it is of grace. It is not of my own merit. I have no right to demand these things. God is free to shower us with his grace as he sees fit. Thirdly, a servant mindset leads to a godly sense of duty. You know, our text tells us that after all we've done, we've only done our duty. It calls it duty. Because as servants of the Lord, our life is not our own. He has the right to call for our obedience, to demand our sacrifice, whatever that may look like. And we do have the duty, the responsibility to serve and obey. And listen, I understand that calling obedience a duty may not sit well with some of us. Because when we think of duty, we think of something that is being done begrudgingly, with no joy. We're just making ourselves do it because we have to. But I think as a Christian servant, as a servant of Christ, it's important to understand that duty and pleasure can coexist and do. Duty and desire coexist in serving Christ. You know, it was John Newton who penned these words. He said, our pleasure and our duty, though opposites before, since we have seen his beauty, our opposites no more. To see the law by Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice transforms a slave into a child and duty to a joy. When we reflect upon the gospel and the forgiveness that we have received in Christ, our hearts should be moved to fulfill our duty and to embrace our duty as his servants, but to do so joyfully and with gratitude, understanding all that he has given to us. Lastly, a servant mindset leads to long-term 
obedience and service. This is huge. I saved it for the end because this, I believe, is at the heart of what Jesus wants his disciples to walk away with. He wants them to understand that they will never stop being servants. We don't graduate from being servants. You see, right, right now, I understand I'm a servant, okay? I'm, I'm remembering that right now. I'm embracing that. I am a servant of God. But that's not what Jesus is really after here. The real thing that he's after is, will I still see myself that way tomorrow? What about five years from now? What about 20 years from now? Will I still see myself? Will I still be embracing my identity as Christ's servant? Look at the last verse in our text. He says, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, he's talking about the future, even when you have done all that you were commanded, say we are unworthy servants, we have only done what is our duty. In other words, even if you live your whole life for me and you were to obey me perfectly, which nobody does, you should still look at your life and say, we're unworthy servants. You were an unworthy servant when you started and you will be an unworthy servant at the end regardless of what you do for me. It is our lifelong identity and it requires us to embrace that mindset for our entire life if we are to obey God and go the long haul in our service for him. Because I'll tell you what, the minute we stop seeing ourselves this way, the minute we stop seeing ourselves this way, it's just a matter of time before we quit, before we stop serving. We'll say, I've done enough. I deserve a break. Look what I've accomplished. That employee mindset starts kicking in. And so we have to remind ourselves that servanthood is not a temporary assignment, and it's not something we do. It is who we are. We are servants of Christ throughout this life. I thank God that we have examples in Scripture of people who never forgot this. You know, the person that immediately came to mind was the Apostle Paul. You have a guy, I mean, if anybody had the right to say, you know what, I've graduated from servanthood, I'm beyond that. If any human being had the right to do that, it would be Paul. Look at all that he did for Christ. He made greater sacrifices, suffered more, saw greater advancements of the gospel than anyone in his time. Yet he starts letters like this. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul never forgot that he was a servant. He never lost sight of his identity. That he is forever indebted to grace for all that God had done in his life. He never felt entitled. But it wasn't just him. Paul wasn't the only one. Look at this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. All people who did great things for God were used mightily by him, laid their lives down in service for him, and yet never forgot their identity as servants of the Lord. And neither should we. And so in closing this morning, let's not forget the what 
and the how and the why of obedience. We need all three. They are all important. Christ teaches us what to obey his commands. He teaches us how to obey by faith, relying on his power, not our own strength. He teaches us why we obey, because of our identity as servants. And when we understand these three things, we will find ourselves able to walk the path of obedience in this life for his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, Lord. We know leaving here today, God, we, we need your help. God, we need your grace, Lord. If, if we are going to live differently in this world as you have called us to do, Lord, we need to be empowered by your spirit, Lord. We need to understand that as we walk by faith, you will be there with us every step of the way, Lord. I pray that you would help us. Grant us your mercy, Lord. Allow us to never forget who we are in you. God, I pray that we wouldn't just remember that we are servants right now, but that we would remember this tomorrow, that we would remember it in five years and 20 years after we have served you for a great period of time, that we would still remember we are unworthy servants, Lord. We could never pay you back. We could never undo the massive debt that you have forgiven us, Lord. And we don't try, Lord. We just, we serve gratefully. Lord, I pray that you would give us your grace during this time right now as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper and to partake in communion. God, help us to examine our hearts rightly.